The following is message number three of the Southeast Blending Conference held in Atlanta, Georgia on the evening of March 30th, 2019. The title of the message is Experiencing Christ in the Recovered Church and Becoming a Pillar in the Temple of God. And the speaker is Brother Ron Kangas. In Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that God predestinated us unto sonship according to the good pleasure of his will. Then in verse 9 he says, God has made known to us the mystery of his will. Then the chapter ends with an unveiling of the church as the body of Christ, the fullness of the one who fills all in all. The context indicates that the will with God's good pleasure and the will which is mysterious, the will which has been revealed to us is God's desire to have the church as the body of Christ. I mention again Revelation 4.11, which says all things were created because of your will. Because of your will, they were. God's will is what he wants. And God wants the church as the corporate expression of the triune God in Christ, who himself is the embodiment and expression of God. Such a church is the eternal, perfect, ordained will of God. Then in Romans 12, Paul encourages us not to be conformed to this age, but to be transformed by the renewing of the mind that we may prove what the will of God is, that which is perfect, is perfect, well-fitting. Then he goes on in verses 4 and 5 to speak of the body of Christ. The will of God for which he created everything, is his intention to have an expression of himself in Christ with millions of human beings created, redeemed, regenerated, transformed, glorified, and built up into one to be a corporate person that will express him. We indicated this morning, or more than indicated, we stated definitely that especially in this age, the Lord has another aspect of his will, his permissive will. So although he's sovereign over everything, foresees everything, rules over everything, Yet he gives permission, human beings, to a large extent, they can do what they want with their lives. Marry whom you want, live where you want, 
And believers, mainly not knowing what God's perfect will is, in fact, the vast majority, I would estimate over 99%, are living in the permissive will. This is the broad way that leads to destruction. Mentioned in Matthew 7. The perfect will is the constricted way which leads unto life. So even regarding how the church developed in history, the Lord prophetically made known in the parables in Matthew 13 and in the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, there will be a degradation in the stages of history until it reaches the point where God will no longer tolerate it. When you have a man like Tetzel selling for money a way to release dead souls from paradise so the Pope can build a glorified cathedral, that was enough. So he raised up a dear brother, Martin Luther, to begin, really, not the Reformation merely, but the recovery of truths, of practices, of experiences that have been lost or distorted or polluted. And the recovery went through many stages until in the 19th century, the Lord began to recover the church he wanted, the church portrayed in Philadelphia. There is no clergy laity. There's no high or low. We all are brothers. We love all the believers. We have no name to denominate us. We have only the name of Jesus. We hold to the pure word of God. We have little strength. The Lord says that. You have little power. I'm, this is the way I want it. I don't want to have super people here. I want to have all kinds of people that all are ordinary believers with a little power. And I ask them, do the best you can. Amen. And that is what we call the recovered church. I review in Matthew 19, we have the principle of recovery presented by the Lord when he was questioned about divorce. Is it allowed? The Lord made it very clear. It was allowed. Moses allowed it. He permitted it because of the hardness of your heart. But in the beginning, it was not so. So the Lord has allowed the Roman Catholic Church, all the denominations, thousands of Christian groups to develop. But in due time, he will clear up the whole situation. And he knows in order to fulfill his purpose, he must recover the genuine church. And that is Philadelphia. And because what the Lord gained through the brethren did not last, 
they were divided again and again, excommunicating one another over petty things. So the Lord went to China, virgin soil, and had a wonderful beginning 97 years ago to establish the first local church in the recovery, the recovered church. And by the Lord's mercy, this testimony has been preserved for almost a hundred years. Amen. And eventually it reached the United States. The truth concerning this reached us. And the Lord in his mercy to us gave us the opportunity to leave the permissive will realm and enter the perfect will realm and simply be a brother in the recovered church. Amen. And it is by the recovered church that God's eternal purposes be fulfilled. Now we're making a turn to consider what the Lord desires will take place within us as we are living and practicing the church life in the recovered church. He wants us to experience him in a specific way. And then based upon that experience, he wants to make us pillars in the temple of God. And we know from the typology of the temple built by Solomon that the pillars were crucial in the front. And so, while we are holding fast to the word and honoring the Lord's name and continuing to care for one another in love, this is the practical expression of the church. But the Lord wants to consummate the divine economy within us. We shouldn't be going on year after year and decade after decade, but without having increasingly deeper and substantial experiences of Christ as a wonderful person in a particular way. So we first want to consider experiencing Christ in the recovered church. And we read the verse where the Lord presented himself in a specific way to this church. I read it again. Amen. Remember, this is the glorified son of man speaking to the messenger of the church in Philadelphia. Write These things says the holy one, the true one. The one who has the key of David, the one who opens and no one will shut and shut and no one opens. The holy one, the true one, the
the one who has the key of David, the one who opens and shuts. He wants us to experience him in a very particular way so that he can work in our being subjectively to constitute us with the triune God, saturating us, permeating us with the process and consummated triune God, renewing our mind, emotion, and will so that every part of our soul becomes an organ that expresses the Christ in our spirit. So not only in meetings or in times of fellowship, in our living, in all the practicalities of our living, on our jobs, whatever it is, we are learning to be one spirit with the Lord, allow him to live in us, allow him to make his home in us. And so maybe there's a student preparing for a challenging final exam in a week or two. Why not, when you're, uh, when you're about to study, say, Lord, I need to study for this exam. Lord, be the one in me studying. Amen. Live in me. Be one with me. Amen. Lord, I'm now taking the exam. I'm not praying for a miracle. But I'm praying that you will be one in me. I have the ground to ask you because I didn't cram for the last 18 hours. And what will happen is there will be a testimony in our living that we're not conscious of, but others will be. They will meet Christ lived out in an approachable, ordinary human being. The Lord cover me to say this, but it's just a fact that wherever I worked for any period of time, after I came into the Lord's recovery, someone got saved. I'm teaching at a very challenging high school, multiracial school, about 45% Hispanic, then maybe 30% African American, 10% Japanese, the rest Caucasian. I learned a lot from them. This was in the late 1960s. A kind of fighting warfare took out on the campus so that 50 policemen had to come on campus to restore order. Yet, just by being normal, I'm in my classroom, a fellow teacher who was a gospel friend of mine, although he didn't know he was a gospel friend, he sent a student with a note, Ron, I need to see you at lunch. This is California, so you have lunch outside. And then he said, 
Well, I guess I wanted to talk to you about religion. He, he, he didn't know how to put it. I just said, I can't do that, but I can talk to you about the Lord. Amen. And I shared with him. Then I led him in prayer. Amen. And he prayed after me. And we both were electrified. Amen. The spirit flowing in me. Amen. And I was teaching special needs students for the most of the time. I was teaching the slowest and those with the lowest IQ and the most brilliant and gifted, one extreme to another. And there was one boy that was just so picked on and bullied by the others. They wrote things on his jacket that were ugly, but not in the class, but just in a conversation after school. He opened to receive the Lord, and then he could say, now I know someone loves me. Amen. And so this is going to be, we'll see more and more, that as we let this Christ live in us and reproduce himself as the overcomer, we will experience him in three particular ways that we want to focus on. Because the recovered church needs these experiences in order to consummate the divine economy and become the new Jerusalem. Roman 1 says, in the recovered church, we may experience Christ as the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David. We may perhaps not have, much, not have much interested in holiness and being holy. And we may not be inclined to pray that often, Lord, I want to be holy. We mainly ask him about other things. But we need to understand our destiny. A decision was made concerning all of us before the universe was created. Read Ephesians 1.4. We were chosen in Christ to be holy and without blemish before God in love. So no one, no one asked your permission. The Lord didn't wait until you were over 18 as an adult and say, do I have permission to make you as holy as I am holy? No. He decided this. He foreknew all of us specifically. You will be holy as I am holy. And you will appear before me without any defect, without any blemish. And then Paul adds, this will be in love. The whole thing is in love. So here we are. The question is not whether or not we will become the same as God in his holy nature. The question is when. And the process is actually much more precious and enjoyable than we might think. Thoughts may be reverberating in our mind. Holy, what is this? What is that? from different kind of backgrounds. 
I observed one thing in particular. I went to a wedding in a denominational church because some close friends were there. This is a year before I came into the recovery. And in this church, they had a certain concept of holiness. So they were very strict that the women should not wear lipstick or any makeup. And so all the women there did not have makeup, but they had very big hair and tight form-fitting dresses. So I wonder what kind of selective holiness is this? <laughs> that the color of your lips doesn't bother me, but hair this big <laughs> and having a dress that is like that, I don't feel that's worthy of you as a woman. That's not worthy. So let's look at this to get God's understanding of what it is. The Lord Jesus is the Holy One. By whom and with whom the church can be holy, separated from the world. So let's realize we're not talking about a thing called holiness. We're not even talking about an attribute called holiness. We're referring to a person who is the Holy One. One Acts 3.14, and Peter spoke of Christ as the Holy One. Now we have the definition. And this verse wholly indicates that Jesus, the Nazarene, was absolutely for God and absolutely one with God. Okay? We cannot be this. Please don't make a, a so-called consecration and say, I consecrate to be holy. You're really making a promise that you may not keep until you fall asleep tonight. Something unholy might happen in thought, feeling, word, reaction between now and the time you go night-night, okay? But we'll keep on trying until the Lord lets us fail enough that we give up, and then he, in a sense, taps us on the shoulder and says, do you see him? He's the Holy One. Will you let him live in you, please? Amen. Just let him in. Amen. Let him be in you the person that he is. Amen. And he is absolutely for God. The only person who ever walked this earth who was absolutely for God. And absolutely one with God. This is the person that we need to experience in the recovered church. We need to know him because we need to be this kind of church. When I came into the first meeting of the believers in the Lord's recovery, there was a Saturday night home meeting. And I had somewhat a sense of fear. And the thought went in me, this is another species of Christian. I just thought, you just, you're another brand 
And the brother was not trying to make any kind of display. He was just being what he was. And I realized, whoa, this, I've never met a person like this. Because in the recovered church, he was experiencing this Christ. Then little b gives us a further definition according to the denotation of the word holy in the Bible. It signifies one who is absolutely unto God, for God, and one with God. In all of human history, only Jesus is such a one. Amen. Okay? So the Lord can present himself to the recovered church this way. He couldn't do it to the other churches. He is saying, I want you to know who and what I am. I mentioned faith is realizing who Jesus is. And he's all inclusive. His riches are unsearchable. So he unveils himself to us little by little. So at a certain point, he will make himself known to you as the righteous one. And he will dispense himself as righteousness into you. Then he will begin to enlighten every unrighteous thing so that he can reconstitute you. At other times, he may unveil himself as the church-loving Christ. He loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he comes to you and he wants you to know him and experience him so that he can become in you a church-loving person. You just love all the churches. You love all the saints. So the word holy signifies one who is absolutely unto God, for God, and one with God. If this is happening in us, then when we make certain decisions, the most important of which is marriage, that's life-changing. You make, make a decision to get a job, it doesn't work out, you can leave. You can make a decision to go to, the, go to this graduate school, it's not working out, you can leave. But when you make a decision to get married and you don't like it, you don't leave. <laughs> and let me testify to you what is the most precious way to end an engagement or to end a courtship with engagement that leads to marriage. It's when both the brother and sister are divinely human. The brother really loves her. He is truly attracted to her. She really loves him. She feels secure with him. She, she feels safe with him. She can respect him. They've had honest fellowship. They know they're not perfect. But the love they have for one another is not only human. It is the church-loving Christ living in them. 
And they have this simultaneous inner realization. When the brother proposes, I'm old-fashioned, all brothers are men, and they should act like it, right? Take the first step. Let, let the sister respond. And the feeling should be this. I want to marry you because I love you. I believe the source of our relationship is the Lord. I want our marriage to be unto the Lord. I want the Lord to bless our marriage. And I want our marriage to contribute to the preparation of the bride for his marriage. Amen. This is living out the Holy One. We're human, but we're not common in a worldly sense. We're human because we have the attraction we should have, the love we should have. We're becoming divine because we have the Lord's life and nature in us. But we realize we were created, we were redeemed, we were regenerated, we were brought into the recovered church to fulfill God's eternal purpose. And everything in our life is going to contribute to this. Most of all, our marriage is for this. Amen. This is quite precious. Because the, the one who is unto God, for God, one with God, is at the very heart of your courtship. And this is how you, it's good. Both of you have no idea what you're doing. That's the best. And then you just learn together. And so I'll give you my working definition of marriage, okay? That's, I mentioned in a wedding meeting. Marriage is a life of intimate mutuality in love under the headship of Christ. And in a wedding meeting, if I'm saying something, I don't give ethical charges to them. I share from my heart. But one thing I like to say to them in addition to love is this. My brother and sister, please keep a good sense of humor. <laughs> okay? It's so good to laugh together, joyfully laughing together. Well, I have no intention. I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm not going to advise anybody. I'm not a matchmaker. I'm just one immensely happy married God man. <laughs> so I just kind of tip you off a little bit. And so this is what it looks like. You don't become an odd person. You're not going to go to high school dressed like an FTTA trainee <laughs> with a white shirt and a tie. The scissors, you're not going to wear a skirt that's low enough to sweep the floor. <laughs> you're not going to be strange, a goofy person. You're going to be a normal kid or a normal college student. If you join the army, the Navy, then just be a normal military person. That's what the Lord led you to do, then do it. Amen. But you've got this Holy One living in you. Amen. So that wherever you are, you're unto God. Whatever you're doing, it's for Him. You're one with Him. Amen. 
And when you're inclined not to be, because we're all in a process, so we are and we aren't, we do and we don't, because this is the process. Then the one, the Holy One is in you, and he just gives you this uneasy feeling. I, my peace is gone. My joy is gone. How come? Why? Because you're not letting me live as the Holy One. I'm not punishing you. I'm indicating to you by giving you this inner feeling. I don't agree with this. I'm not happy with this. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. But I want to let you know where you are. So I give you this inner sense in your spirit where you are. And all of us can testify, eventually, we're conquered by it. It subdues us, this gentle, persistent inner sense. So we come back. We may say, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. Or sometimes we may say, hi, Lord, I'm back. I've been away. I'm back. And the Lord may indicate, OK, then let's continue where we left off. Two, as the Holy One, <coughs> Christ is unlimited, unsearchable, and incomparable. So you can't compare him with anyone. There's no basis for comparison. And you have to realize <coughs> certain aspects of this Holy One only God the Father knows. In the types of the Old Testament offerings, the inward parts were offered to God because only God could appreciate the depths of Christ, his son's suffering inwardly. And even in Revelation 19, you will come having a name. The commander in chief, you'll have a name. But no one knows. So there will always be something unfathomable, un unlimited, unsearchable about him. He will never be aloof. But we have to realize we are married to, yes, the firstborn son, but he is the unlimited, infinite God. Amen. Three, the Holy One is Christ the son of David, in whom God's mercies are centered and conveyed. So here we link God's mercies to the Holy One. I've mentioned a number of times, I feel to mention it here, that when Brother Watchman Nee's ministry was restored after a period where he could not minister, he gave a message on mercy. And then he told us in this message, the time needs to come at least once in your life when you realize everything depends on God's mercy. Amen. I love that verse in Romans 9. It's not of the one who wills nor the one who runs, but of God, the one who shows mercy. 
Someone with a critical spirit asked a sister in a meeting, I was speaking something, and she said with a critical spirit to the sister she was with, who does he think he is? Well, when I heard about this, I wasn't bothered. Words like this don't trouble me. So I said to the sister, here's my answer. Who do I think I am? I think I am a man who, because of God's mercy, has not been consumed. I am still here living and breathing because God is merciful. I just worship the Father for his mercy. So with this holy one does not come a demand, be holy or get ready. No, he is merciful. And that mercy, I tell you, it will melt you. You realize you have no standing before God, no defense, no excuse. And he has all the authority. He's righteous and holy. He has the complete power and authority. And he's not like condescending, but he just, you expect judgment and he touches you with mercy. It just melts your heart. So we know of a situation where presently the parents of a young brother are disagreeing with his being in the church life. And as we prayed, the number of us prayed, we prayed for the salvation of his parents, and we prayed, Lord, be merciful to them. They're not enemies. They think they're doing what's best. We understand this. Have mercy on them. We stand on the ground of household salvation. Amen. Save the whole household. Amen. Soon. Amen. And we appeal to God's mercy. Amen. Then four says, through the Lord's shepherding of the flock, the sheep, we know him as the Holy One, the eternal God, Jehovah, the creator of the ends of the earth. So I refer again to the Lord sleeping in the boat during the storm at night. They woke him up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. And they got a glimpse of realizing, who is this? This is God manifest in the flesh. This is awesome. It's not only Christ is in you. God in Christ is in you. And the Lord makes this known to us through his shepherding. He doesn't send you to a theological seminary. It's by shepherding us. And shepherding is to render all-inclusive, tender care. And by his shepherding, sometimes even when we're weak, when we've had a failure, when we're discouraged, he shepherds us. And in his shepherding, he teaches us a little more of who he is. Then he may say, please realize something. 
My name is I am. I am the self-existing, ever-existing God. I am unchangeable. And I am in you. And what I am, I'm going to be to you. I am life, I will be life to you. I am resurrection, I will be resurrection to you. I am light, I will be light to you. I am bread, I will feed you with myself. With the bread of life, with the living bread, with the bread from heaven, with the true bread, with the bread of God, I'm going to feed you with God bread. Multi-grain resurrection bread. Don't worry about being able to assimilate it. This is the healthiest bread in the universe. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Now we turn to another aspect. The Lord Jesus is the true one by whom we can be true, faithful for God. And he is also the faithful one, but I want to say something about this word faithful. To be true is also to be faithful. Only a person who's real, who's genuine, who's sincere can be faithful. If someone is not faithful, they will lie, or they will pretend, or they will conceal. They can't be real. They're, they're frightened of the reality. But when someone is real, spontaneously, they're true, they're faithful, they're genuine. And it's by this person, the true one, that we can be true, faithful for God. So I just want to point out a few verses regarding faithfulness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. And then he said, it should be found in stewards that they're faithful. The first characteristic is you're faithful. In Revelation 17, 14, we read that verse. The Lord is returning with his bridal army. And he's returning as the overcomer. And the armies are his overcomers. And he, there are three words to describe these overcomers. They're called. They're chosen. And they're faithful. Amen. They were faithful. This is precious to the Lord. This is what he is looking for. According to the parable of the talents with the servants in Matthew 25, when those with five and two talents could come to the Lord and say, Lord, we gained five more. We gained two more. The Lord says, well done, true and faithful servant. He didn't say, well done, gifted servant. Well done, brilliant servant. Well done, powerful servant. He said, well done, faithful servant. 
And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 8, Paul says something quite important. In the previous verses, he indicates, you know, if we reign with him, then we will reign in the kingdom. If we suffer with him, we will be rewarded. But then he says, if we are faithless, he said, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. And then he explains, for he cannot deny himself. Now, there is a deep truth here. Let me unlock it. God cannot deny what he is. To be faithful for God is to be true to what you are. He has to be true to his nature and to his being. He is just automatically faithful. He doesn't have to say, I'm God, I have to be faithful, I've got to work at this. No, it's his innate characteristic to be faithful. If he speaks a word, he cannot deny it. Heaven and earth will pass away, not his word. Because he will not deny himself by denying the word. So he cannot deny himself. Then what does it mean for us to be faithful? Yes, it does mean that in our service, we are true, we are genuine and faithful to carry out what the Lord placed in our hands. But there's something much deeper than that. The high peak of the divine revelation is that God in Christ became man so that redeemed man in Christ may become God in life and in nature, but not in the Godhead, not as an object of worship. So many attributes of God will be wrought into us. He is righteous. We will be righteous in Christ. <clears throat> he is holy. We will be holy in Christ. He is love. We will be love in Christ. Okay, faithfulness is another attribute. Faithfulness means God must be true to himself. So he wants to constitute us with his faithfulness until it becomes our constitution. And then we will realize, just as God cannot deny his being, we cannot go against our Christ-constituted being. I have to be what I am in him. Even if I try to be different, my whole being rises up. That's impossible, Ron. That old person is gone. You're a new creation. The Lord has been working himself as faithfulness in you. He's permeating your being. 
How can you go against what you are? No matter what the trial is. That's why saints face any kind of end. Full of joy. They could not go against their being. Well, this Christ is going to make us persons of faithfulness. And this will be a major qualification for us to be part of his army that is with him at Armageddon. But our emphasis needs to be on the true one. So we continue. One as the true one, Christ is genuine and real in every way. Okay, please just, just think of it if you, if you want to. Think of one politician <laughs> who is true and real in every way. Whenever he's asked a question, no double talk. He gives a true and faithful answer there's no such thing. No politician can be true. Maybe an elected servant. Someone says, I'm not a politician, but I'd like to serve. You like me, I will serve. I won't be political. If you like me, vote for me. If not, let it go. I'm not going to lie to you. But that, those people are very rare. And when there is anyone who is just blunt about what he is, the medias, they just don't know what to do with this. We don't know how to handle lies. We don't know how to handle bold speaking. But the Lord Jesus is genuine and true in every way. Oh, I mean, I live in Southern California, the land of fantasy, of unreality. Christ is the reality of the church. Without him, we have vanity, not reality. It's possible for a local church that started out as a recovered church to become a degraded recovered church. That's Laodicea. And there's no reality there. That was Laodicea. You know this, you know that. You claim to be this or that. Don't you know you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I am outside the church. It's possible. This happened to the brethren. We're not better in our nature than anyone else. So Christ is the reality of the church. Three, the reality in Jesus is the actual condition of the life of Jesus as recorded in the four Gospels. The essence of the life of Jesus is reality. The reason is that he did everything with God, one with God, through God, and for God. And God by nature is reality. And this man, Jesus, was real and genuine in every way. So he knew, and I enjoyed this aspect of him even now. He knew and he knows how to be with everyone and anyone. He knows what to say and how to say it with every person. And so when he called Matthew, 
to follow him. Matthew, a tax collector. Matthew was full of joy. He said, I'd like to have a feast, a dinner in my house. Will you come, Lord, and bring the disciples? And I will invite my friends. But all of his friends were tax collectors and sinners. So that's who came. And the Lord is there. You're not sitting in a chair. You're reclining at table with tax collectors and sinners. And the religious ones are complaining. And the Lord said, those who are well have no need of a physician. I came for those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous. He could be a friend of sinners, but Hebrews 7 tells us he was separate from sinners. So as he lives in us, we can become a true friend of a very sinful person that we happen to live with. But Christ came into the world to save us sinful persons. But because he's the Holy One and living in us, we're separated from certain things they want to talk about. We don't laugh at certain jokes. We won't go to certain places. But we can be genuine friends with them. And so the Lord did everything in God and with God. So he knew when to be silent. He knew when to rebuke the Pharisees. He knew what to say in every situation. And everything he did was real, was genuine. And I appreciate, it's just the nature of young people to want the real thing. To meet the real thing. And forgive me for, for this testimony. I'm, I'm not boasting, except in the Lord. When I was teaching both the slowest and the brightest students, at the end of the term, I asked these gifted students to anonymously write down anything they wanted to say about the class and about the teacher. I said, you just say anything you want. And it's anonymous. It will not be held against you. I'd like to learn from you. And... One 16-year-old, among other things, she said, Mr. Kangas, you are real. You were real with us. I could just praise the Lord. That was in 1968. I looked to the Lord that he has gone on then. The world has not seen this. Just the genuineness, the truthfulness, the sincerity John, in particular, emphasizes reality. And when he wrote his second epistle and greeted this older sister and her children, she said, referred to them as the ones whom I love in truthfulness. He didn't just say love. He realized in truthfulness, the divine reality was expressed in his love. He knew it. He was pure when he said it. I love you in truthfulness. You know, everything I say to you is genuine. 
For as members of the body of Christ, we should live a life of reality as the reality is in Jesus, a life of expressing God. Well, how do we live a life of reality? It's by letting reality live and be expressed in us. See, the recovered church, to the recovered church, the Lord is also the one who has the key of David, the key of the kingdom with authority to open and shut. He wants us, the recovered church, to know him in this way because he wants us to join him in exercising this authority. Outwardly, we have the least authority. We are under our bosses. We're under the mayor, the governor, the president. This is where we should be. But actually, the church, with its authority, is higher than any government. We have the authority to bind and loose, to control the enemy, to limit him, to shut the door, to open the door. So in 1991, our brother Lee is with the Lord one afternoon, and he could not tell with us, tell us what his full experience was. But the Lord used the key and opened the door and said to him, why not go to Russia? And the Lord used the key to open the Russian-speaking world. Amen. Wonderful increase, marvelous increase. Now he's opening India. And when we were in Addis Ababa, we mentioned openly this thought. Now the Lord is using the key to open the entire continent of Africa. Amen. You just see what the Lord is going to do in that largest of continent. How many chosen ones he has there. Amen. You just get ready for the Lord to move there Amen. and to bring so many into the recovered church life. Amen. And to raise up useful ones. He has the key. He wants us to know this. One, this is the key of the treasury of the house of God, which is typified by the house of David for the building up of the kingdom of God. The church is both God's house and God's kingdom. The key of David is for keeping of all the treasures of the house of God, which are the riches of Christ for our enjoyment. Christ is the one who can open and shut the door to the treasury of God's riches, which are embodied in him. So he wants the recovered church to know, I have the key, and I will use the key to open up the wealth of my being to all of you. Come into the divine treasure house, inexhaustible. To you, Philadelphia, only to you. And on behalf of you, I will exercise this authority to close doors. To close doors against the enemy. And very often he may close a door in our life. When the Lord closes a door... Nothing and no one can open it. You may not like it. You may not agree with it. You are touching the authority 
of the ascended Christ. But then when he opens the door, no one can touch it. So I hope she and I are covered when I mention this. In some fellowship, it came up about the sister and I. You're an American. You're this. I was born in Kazakhstan. I'm a Russian. I'm this. There'll be a lot of opinions, maybe. I said, I know. But I want you to be assured. This is from God. And I'm ready to stand against 10,000 opinions. <laughs> but instead of opinions, there were hallelujahs. There were expressions of love and thankfulness. When the Lord opens a door, no one can close it. When the Lord closes a door, no one can shut it. And tonight, Christ, the son of David, is opening the door of the being of the triune God to all of you, Amen. saying, welcome home. Amen. Come on in. Amen. Partake of these riches. Amen. Oh, the riches. Oh, the riches. Amen. Christ my Savior has for me. Amen. How unsearchable their measure, yet my full reality. Little C, Christ is the one who can open and shut the door to the treasury of God's riches which are embodied in him. I read that. The key of David opens the whole universe for God. Saints are praying all over the earth. We will pray more this year. Lord, use the key to open North Korea. Amen. And Lord, use the key to open Cuba. Use the key to open Iran. Amen. When you use the key to open, no one can shut. Amen. And Lord, use the key to bind the Kim dynasty in North Korea Amen. and remove it from the earth. Amen. And to open the Korea, open North Korea for the recovery to go there. Amen. The recovery version to go there. And recently, when I was in Korea for a training, I expressed a dream. I believe sooner or later, North Korea will open. Who knows, maybe in the year 2028, when we make an announcement concerning the training for elders and responsible ones in October, we would say, Elders training to be held in Pyongyang, North Korea. Amen. Brother Watchman, he says we should pray big prayers. Amen. Lord, open North Korea. Amen. Use the key. Amen. Open the country and bind the enemy. Amen. Open every country in Africa. Amen. Open Cuba. Amen. We want to have a conference in Havana, Cuba. Amen. We want to go from Florida and around the southeast. Amen. Let's go to Havana Amen. and praise the triune God. Amen. Lord, open Iran. Amen. Change the government. Amen. Millions of young people are hungry for the gospel. Amen. Send the gospel of the kingdom there. Amen. Maybe we'll have an elders training in Tehran. Amen. 
I'm thinking big. Amen. I'm dreaming big. Amen. Let's pray big. Amen. We're the recovered church. Amen. We're filled with the one who has the keys. Amen. You can open the whole universe. We just ask you, open countries on the earth. Now the subpoints. David represents God in establishing God's kingdom on earth and has the keys of God's dominion. As the real David, the greater David, Christ has built up the house of God, the real temple, and he has set up the kingdom of God the dominion in which he exercises full authority to represent God. Therefore, he holds the key of David. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And the recovery church participates in the exercise of that authority, especially by the prayer ministry of the church. Little c. The fact that Christ has the key of David signifies that he is the center of God's economy. So he needs to be the center of the church life, and he needs to be center of our own human life. And we would do well if we had the sense to do so. Please don't do it just because I mentioned it. But if the Lord leads you, just turn to him, and open to him and ask him, Lord, please show me what is the center? What is my center? Are you really the center of my being and of my living? I'm a young person. Are you the center of my plans and my hopes? Lord, if not, I'm asking you, do what you need to do inside of me so that you are the center. Amen. And that you are the center of everything I'm involved in. The center of this conference is not a message. It's not the brother giving the message. The center of this conference is Christ himself. Amen. He's the center of this meeting. The Lord said in Matthew 18, to gather together into my name, there am I in the midst of you. He's in the midst. I say this respectively because the Lord is here. We can't see him. He's pneumatic, but he's here. His name is Emmanuel. He is God with us. I say, Lord Jesus, good evening. We love you, Lord. We welcome your presence. Amen. You are the Holy One. Amen. You are the true one. Amen. You are the real David. Amen. We want to know you. We want to be filled with the reality that you are. Amen. Thank you for being here, Lord. Amen. I do believe when we are glorified and when we're with him, and some of us are together, the Lord might come and say, remember... 8.55 p.m., March 30th, 2019, in Atlanta. And you said, good evening, Lord Jesus. Inwardly, I said, thank you. I'm happy to be here. This is real. Don't you sense? Don't you sense him? It's real. 
3, as the one who has the key of David, who opens what no one can shut. The Lord has given the recovered church an open door, which no one can shut. Oh, we had fierce spiritual battles in the 70s and 80s. Trying to close the door on this campus in this situation. They tried to shut the door. But the Lord exercised the key to open it. And so you're trying to shut the door in California. Go ahead, try. While you're trying, I'm going to open the door in the whole Russian-speaking world. I'm going to save thousands of people in Moscow and thousands more in St. Petersburg. And I'll raise up scores of churches and have a full-time training in the Russian-speaking world because I have the key. And so he wants us to know him as the real David with the key and then be one with him and learn. This, we'll learn this together, how to give him the way to exercise this. Then the second section, the Lord Jesus will make the one who overcomes a pillar built into the temple of God. So you don't have to try hard to be a pillar. Don't consecrate, Lord, I promise from now on I'll be a pillar, please. If you want to consecrate, just say, Lord, I give you my life and my whole being. Do with me whatever's in your heart. I just pray for your will to be done. But he wants to constitute us in the recovered church into pillars. So let's read the details. The Lord makes us pillars by transforming us. That is by carrying away our natural element and replacing it with his divine element. So it's like petrified wood. The wood remains, but water is flowing, and the natural element is removed, and a mineral element replaces it. So it's petrified wood. And so the Lord needs to be able to touch what's natural. And at a certain point, as he's shepherding you in the experience of life, he'll ask you for your permission for him to touch, not just the sinful flesh, not just the self, but your natu the natural element. And for the wives of the elders, to love each other, and for all of us to love one another's children, the Lord needs to touch our natural love for our own children and replace that love with a divine human love for our children and then for all the other children. That, I don't know really what is going on. I don't try to figure out what's going on. It just happens. Whenever I'm with a young couple and they show me the latest baby or they've got a little toddler, if it's okay, I just like to get close and look at them, this one and say, I am now 
assuring you, you will be blessed in every way for the rest of your life. Amen. This is official. This is final. Amen. Lord Jesus would take the children in his arms and bless them. Amen. And so I'm not going to be hasty to, to do something outward. But yet, this is the Lord constituting us when he touches our natural affection, then our capacity to love is unlimited. God loves not because we're lovable, but because he is love. And we will love whether or not the person's likable or it's your kind of person, whatever you think, it means nothing. It's a human being. You love everyone the same, and they know it. They can tell especially if they're younger, even if they're not younger. They've met so much unreality, so much seemingly nice talk. When they meet the real thing, it's, it's quite, a, quite an encounter. So the meaning of make in Revelation 3.12 is to constitute us into something, to construct us in a creative way. In the church life today, the Lord is making us. So this process should be going on. We're not only keeping his word, loving the brothers, honoring his name. We are allowing the Lord to make us into a stabilizing factor, a pillar. And on the way here, I checked on my phone to find out exactly what Hannah was saying in her prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Her prayer is really profound. So she's praying in response to what the Lord did for her and giving her a son whom she offered to God to be a Nazarite. And this is what she said in 1 Samuel 2, 8, second part. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world upon them. And she's talking about people. There is a need in every local church for stability. For there to be an unshakable element in the church, no matter what happens. Because the gates of Hades will attack, they will not prevail. And we know from Hebrews 12 that we will receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And a pillar in the church is someone so constituted with Christ that he is built into the triune God who is the temple and is unshakable. Nothing can shake him or her. And such a person, sister or brother, Sister Lee was a pillar. She was with us 15 years after Brother Lee went to be with the Lord. The most mature and most spiritual person on the earth. We told her the day we had the funeral for Brother Lee. You are our mother. 
We will take care of every need you have the rest of our life. And she was a pillar. And we would receive supply from her. And in the recovered church, the Lord is building the new Jerusalem, starting with pillars. Two says, in the church life today, the Lord is making us, constituting us into pillars in the temple of God. The Lord's work in the church is to work himself into us, constituting us into pillars in the temple of God. So what is sad to me and concerns me and motivates me to pray and to fight and to minister is to visit churches and see dear saints just staying on the surface in their church life and in their personal life. They faithfully are in the Holy Word for Morning revival in a certain way. They're in the meetings. They go to the feasts. They serve. Yet you have the sense this is a discernment, not a judgment. The Lord does not yet have access to the depths of your being. He wants to work himself into you. This is his central work. Only in the recovered church does the Lord have an opportunity to do this corporately. And so we're not just here in a routine way. What should be happening from year to year and is happening is that the Lord is working himself into us more and more. Allow me to say to you, I'm not altogether the same tonight as I was a year ago. Neither are you. This is Christ making his home in our heart. This is his work. Be in Revelation 21, 22, 23. We see that the new Jerusalem, in the new Jerusalem, the triune God himself is the temple. Wait a minute. We're being built into the temple. Now the triune God is the temple. Let's be logical. This means we're being built into the triune God. For the overcomers to be pillars in the temple means that they will be pillars in the triune God. What kind of person is this? He doesn't wear a sign saying, I'm a pillar, man, you know. (laughs) No, he's probably not even aware he's a pillar. Because he's conscious of Christ, not what he is. But you realize this, just this person's presence. I mean, there are some here tonight in the meeting, faithful ones. They may be just limited in what they can do. But just their presence is a supply. They don't have to say anything. They don't have to do anything. Just their being here is a supply. This is precious. They paid the price over the years to be constituted with Christ and built into God. So they're 
mingled with the triune God and constituted with him. Even in today's church life, the overcoming saints are pillars in the temple of God. So the Lord is going to pillarize us, if there's such a word, for the sake of his building. He will build you into God. Amen. These saints sometimes have the consciousness that the church is actually nothing other than the triune God, as indicated by the golden lampstands as a symbol of the church. They just had this increasing awareness. The church is constituted with the triune God. Like the hymn says, the triune God has now become our all. Amen. How wonderful, how marvelous. The pillars in the church today are pillars in the triune God. In the coming age, these overcoming believers will be pillars in the temple of God, which is God himself. Amen. From this we see that being made pillars involves the triune God being mingled with and constituted into the faithful believers. If I would ask you to pray for any particular matter, it would be this. You realize that the central work of God is to build himself in Christ into you by dispensing himself into you mingling himself with you and constituting himself into you little by little. And you simply present yourself day by day. Lord, continue your central work. The prayer can be simply this. Lord, strengthen me with power into my inner man and make your home in my heart. Before I meet you, I want you to have gained every part of my heart. To have made your home in every part of my heart and constitute me with yourself. Amen. Then we conclude to overcome in the church in Philadelphia is to keep what we have received in the Lord's recovery to an end. This is an exercise. To be exercised to keep what we have and never become lukewarm like Laodicea. Never be proud. Always be seeking. To be faithful to the end. The Lord has entrusted so much to us. If we do this, the Lord will make us a pillar in the temple of God. So this is experiencing Christ in the recovered church and becoming a pillar in the temple of God. So let's have the microphones be brought forward.